have a lot to get through, and I don't want to actually super rush, but I know we both have a tendency to ramble and go ramble. off on tangents. But yeah. So I don't want to skip something we want to talk about when we feel is important, but if anything, I'm going to skip through my honorable mentions here really quickly, and so we have more time to focus on like the handful of movies that we both really liked. Okay. So I six my six honorable mentions that were not in your top ten, uh, I just wanted to list real quick, and maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. Uh, Marriage Story, I don't know if you got around to watching that on Netflix. Uh, I did. I wasn't a huge fan, but I did think the acting was great, even if it wasn't anything groundbreaking. How did you feel about it? I The exact same thing. The bo- both of them were very good, but it just the movie didn't do anything for me. Okay, so fine. Uh, uh, moving right along, the last movie I actually watched with kind of a half hoping it would make my top 10 was Pain and Glory. It's the one that Antonio Banderas is nominated for oh, Best yeah. Actor for. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's, it's just kind of a slow little character movie, and it's in Spanish, so it's definitely not for everybody, but I did enjoy it. He is really good in it, and it's that Pedro, I never could say his name right, but it's like Aldomovar or Aldomovar. I think it's Aldomovar, and he's he's done movies that are, you know, Often up for like best foreign film and stuff. Just a Spanish uh, director who's had a very successful career. And if anything, I kind of got the vibe that this film was a little bit of a not biopic, but like a, a, based on his actual experiences. I felt like a little bit. Hmm. It was good. Was Penelope Cruz in it? Yeah, she. They go back and forth on the timeline, and she plays Antonio Banderas's character's mom when he's growing up, kind of in poverty. Oh, okay. Because I just know that they're always in movies together a lot, and I like. Oh yes, yes. She's been nominated, I think, for Oscars in Aldomovar movies. So uh, definitely a connection there. Yeah, Judy. It's solid. It's not great, great, but you know, it's you know, Renee Zellweger is like kind of the favorite to win the Oscar, and it is really good. It kind of gave me a look at Judy Garland's life that I never really thought about how she was probably mm-hmm. downright victimized as as a kid, as far as just you know, studios trying to make money off of her in movies and her health be damned kind of thing. Because they had like contracts then, right? Right, right. And she's, you know, a minor and they're just like basically bullying a 14-year-old girl about her weight. And so, of course, she has problems with substance abuse when she's older Mm -hmm. and kind of becomes a joke in her, I say her older years, she didn't make it to 50. So it it was a sad in beautiful movie that just i didn't quite put in my top 10 because i actually have another movie we're going to talk about that uh, uh covers a lot of the same territory if that gives you any hints yeah uh rocket man i liked it it was good i almost put it in there but i couldn't quite but it was i liked it a lot okay yeah and, and not much to say i was just think it wasn't <sighs> my biggest issue with it was because i did really enjoy it but i just feel like there wasn't enough conflict. Basically, you had this Elton, you know, I, I actually forget his real name, but Elton John growing up, he wants to be a musician. He becomes a musician. Like, he didn't really, I mean, yeah, it's hard to make it, but he was just so talented. He really didn't have a lot of obstacles along the way. He just, yeah, did. He was crazy talented. And so he made it, the end. Yeah. But it, it was still good and interesting. Here was an interesting one that I, I'm going to bet no one has, has seen, but it is on Netflix. It's I Lost My Body. The it's an animated French film that's up for best animated film at the Oscars. Hmm. You're one of the probably the few people I would suggest it to. Although I could also see you just thinking like this is too weird, this is stupid. So I never know which way <laughs> things are going to go with you sometimes. Yeah, I don't either. Okay, but it uh, it so it's also doing two parallel stories going back and forth, and one is yes, following a disembodied hand as it wanders around Paris. Hmm. But then it flashes back to the story of this, oh, I say kid, but he's probably, you know, anywhere from 16 to 20 years old. And it kind of tells his story leading up to the incident that will end with his hand being separated from his body. Hmm. It's actually kind of this beautiful character drama. And you, after the first five or 10 minutes, you get used to the hand just kind of doing its thing. And it's kind of, yes, it's kind of this weird, surrealist, whatever you would call it, movie. But then it is Hmm. coupled with this drama of this kid just trying to find his way in the world. And it's so it's, yeah. and it's, and it's definitely for adults. This is not a kid's animated movie. I know that. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's actually violence and stuff with like, yeah, how, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's good. Not for everybody. Hmm. Um, and then the one that almost made my top 10 was Dolomite is my name with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. I've been, I know it's on Netflix. I just hadn't gotten around to it. It's one. I didn't realize until I was done watching it, that it's basically a biopic. 
Oh. Like, I watched it thinking like, oh, this is crazy. That's a good thing they invented. That's kind of fun. Like, oh, no, it actually happened? Holy crap. Like, <laughs> it went up like three points uh, hidden in my in my estimation just because like, oh, they didn't even make this up. This is insane. So just this guy who never made it in Hollywood, who in his like late 40s or early 50s finally makes it. But <laughs> to a point, he still just kind of became a B-list kind of guy. Did you ever see Ed Wood? Yeah, who directed it? Was it what's this? I think yeah, I think it is uh the Tim Burton. Who's but the it's, weird guy? Yeah, Tim yes, Burton. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's Johnny Depp playing this weird director from like the fifties or sixties or whatever who made bad movies. So that's mm-hmm. basically what it is. Like Dolomite just kind of got popular and had this kind of niche audience in the seventies, and just kind of by sheer force of will, you know, went from these uh, lewd albums that he was putting out to actually getting like some movies made in the seventies that were just kind of like these, you know, what they call like the black exploitation films or whatever. And yeah. kind of had this little underground following. Like, it, it was just kind of really, really interesting. And then they actually say that a lot of the guys, then it's like you get the rap guys into the 80s, mm-hmm. look at this guy as kind of like the beginning of hip-hop slash rap in the sense that he was kind of doing that all like cocky talking about himself on stage kind of thing. And it was like half talk and half music mm. and kind of had a rhythm to it. And so they kind of say, yeah, he was kind of the forerunner of this whole thing that exploded into the 80s and into the 90s. So, and it's a good movie. I I, I do recommend it. And I would yeah, say I'll it's got a, it. a broader appeal than maybe something like, uh, I lost my body. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to kind of go back and forth here with our top tens and just skip over any ones that are duplicates until they get to the person's list they're higher on. But I was actually kind of delighted to see you you did a better job this year of watching more movies i saw um i did i am still upset that i didn't see i haven't seen 1917 or parasite okay i was gonna see them in cincinnati because i had to go there for work last week but i ended up being busy every night and life just kind of got in the way so i i saw more movies this year but i probably i didn't see probably the biggest two i should have <laughs> gotcha no and that's all right and i have there's still more i wanted to get to too I, at some point like i said i just kind of you have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, and, and there's also some movies, like there's foreign movies that don't even come out until later this month. And so yeah. I'm trying to debate, do I just go ahead and maybe consider those for next year? Anyway, so I will let you kick it off with your number 10, which was one of my honorable mentions. Um, I will start with saying there was not a movie this year that I would pound the table for. Okay. Like I have years in, years in the past. Okay. Like last year with uh, Star is Born? Last year, Star is Born. The year before with I, Tanya or Three Billboards. Okay, right. So there's really, I thought everything was good, but nothing was great and stood out. That's 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 fair. That's fair. That's how. That's just how I felt about this year. Um. So my number 10 is The Farewell. Which I did really like. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. I thought Aquafina was awesome in it. The story was interesting because I... The, you know, the Asian culture with how they deal with death. I'd never really heard of that before. Yes, where they don't tell the person with the fatal diagnosis that they have a that fatal diagnosis. Not. They consider yeah. that almost like rude and you're not letting them enjoy the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. So um, I watched that one on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I did really like it. I'm just trying to figure out exactly why I didn't want to include it in my top 10. You know, I, it came out fairly early. Like in, I probably saw it in what, August or whatever. Yeah. And... Two, three months later, as I'm kind of getting more into my, putting my list together, I hardly even remembered it. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah, what was the farewell? Uh-oh. Like, I just, it didn't stick in my mind. It just kind of faded yeah. too quickly. Even though I do know I enjoyed it and it was well made, it was kind of too forgettable. And I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. I would love to rewatch it again. It is really good. And I look forward to seeing what everybody involved in that continues to do. But yeah, good show. I was... Very disappointed she didn't get nominated for Best Actress, Yeah, though. it had to have been close. Because she did win the Golden Globe for what? the I forget mm-hmm. which category. Probably the comedy uh, comedy side of things. Because this is... Yeah. it's. I mean, it there is comedic elements to it. But it's. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's uh, more of a drama than a comedy. I completely agree, yeah. But I think sometimes, though, too, it's probably not bad to put some of those movies on the comedy side. So they actually can get more awards love. Versus if they put it as a drama, mm-hmm. it's just going to get shut out. So yeah. that's fine. Okay, so my number 10 was Blinded by the Light. Hmm. Had you even heard of that one? No. Okay, I think we maybe I talked... Or no, wait, maybe I, I think I tried to suggest it to you and we and you got it confused with something else. But anyway, so it's about this Pakistani kid in 1980s England who is just kind of like torn between two worlds, as you kind of see in a lot of movies, where he feels like he has like basically no accent. He's fully British, but the British kids don't accept him because he's Pakistani. 
But then mm. at home, he doesn't feel like he shares the same culture with his parents and doesn't want to live like their Pakistani way of life or have their pa- Pakistani views on the way things should be. So he's kind of like stuck without a group. Like he, and he does have some friends, but not a lot. And there's definitely a lot of uh, anti-immigrant hatred directed towards them. And he just he wants to be a writer. But his parents are like, you know, you, you can't make a living writing. You need to, you know, the stereotypical things. They want him to be a doctor uh, or something like doctor, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's just, and again, he's just a teenager though, and he's just going crazy. And one of his friends introduces him to Bruce Springsteen, like not literally, just like just the music. Yeah, like he gives him, he, he gives him a tape or a CD or whatever, probably just a tape at that time. And he's like, "What are you talking about? This white American dude is supposed to help me with my problems?" He's like, "Just listen." And <laughs> yeah, he he gets like obsessed with Bruce Springsteen, and it's kind of neat. And they, and I don't know, it's it definitely sounds kind of cheesy. But they do it really well. It's actually the same lady who directed Bend It Like Beckham. Oh. And so she just did a really good job with it. And I, it got me. At, you know, of course, as it always leads to, you know, the parents come around and all that. Like, you know, how you kind of know where it's going. It's not super unpredictable. But it, it had me tearing up at the end. Like, they, they huh. earned it. It was, you know, just, you know, when the parents finally realized, oh, our kid's a really good writer. Like, and just like, anyway, it's. Really good show. A 6.9 on IMDb. I'm surprised you saw it. Well, because IMDb is dead to me on Rotten Tomatoes. It is an 80, 89 on Rotten Thank Tomatoes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see. Uh, your number nine was another one of my honorable mentions. Peanut Butter Falcon. Yes. That was a fun one. It was. I didn't really have a, I don't know, I didn't have like high expectations going into it. I was like, oh, I'll just watch it. Yeah. Um, as soon as I was done with it, though, I called my dad and said, "Hey, you need to watch this movie because it is his kind of oh really like, a feel good feel good like hearty movie that he would like." And they they all three that watched it and loved it. Oh, good. That's always good to hear. I always, yeah, always mm-hmm. I sometimes I get nervous. You're recommending something, or yeah, you don't necessarily know. Like I said, I I have a hard time figuring out what you're gonna like. Yeah, yeah. With with them, I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, I'm only gonna recommend it if I know they're gonna like it because okay. most of the time they don't like movies that I watch. Right. But I knew that they would like this. And yeah. He, yeah. He called me as soon as it was, they were done with it and really liked it. Nice. And that's, and that is, that's a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost surprised it just kind of completely disappeared from any kind of awards conversations. I think you could just argue it's, it's just a very small movie. And I, I know, mm-hmm. I know small stories can still kind of have broad appeal, but it's, yeah. So I'm guessing most people listening don't know anything about it. It's, so Shia LaBeouf kind of plays this. Oh, I mean, he's a loser, for lack of a better word. He's kind of on the run from some guys that he ripped off or burnt down their boat or something. <laughs> and then he also then, as he's on the run, runs across a kid with Down syndrome who's also escaping from his kind of assisted living space. And they kind of end up as this odd couple. And again, I know that kind of stuff. It sounds cheesy, but they really do make it work in the movie where it's not like they make Shia LaBeouf's character have this heart of gold or anything necessarily. At first, he tries to kind of get the kid away. And then he, yeah. and then they kind of just, you just kind of realize they're on this common struggle together. And and the, and the, the, the kid is obsessed with professional wrestling and just kind of this whole quest to find his favorite wrestler and go to a wrestling school. And it's just, it's just kind of adorable. And in a way that, again, kind of like I was saying with Blinded by the Light, it's not too cheesy or anything. It's just, it's mm-hmm. it's well, very well handled. Do you know how they met the actor, the one that played, that had the Down syndrome? Wasn't it actually in rehab or something? Or in, no. when Shia was in? Shia, like, volunteered at this camp oh, for okay. kids with autism. Like, but it's like an acting camp. Oh, okay. So, like, kids that are interested in acting but have, or that are on the spectrum go to this camp and that's where he met the kid the kid's name is zach in the in the movie and in real life okay yeah so that's where and that's where he met him oh very cool and he's he's really good i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's well done and uh yeah shy is gonna come up here in a little bit he did a really good job of acting in this yes he did i'll save my shy thoughts till the next one but okay okay my number nine is the last black man in san francisco this actually just won what they call the Golden Brick on the Film Spotting podcast, mm-hmm. which is kind of the award they give every year to the best under the radar movie, kind of the best movie no one's talking about, I guess you would say. Uh, actually, the award's actually actually named after Ryan Johnson's film Brick from like 08 or whatever with uh, mm-hmm. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. So I was hearing about it just because I was hearing these kind of niche critics podcasts talk about it. And uh, then, of course, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes ratings are, are pretty high. And I forget if I had to rent it or if I actually might have been included with a Prime membership. So I did make a point to see it and really, really enjoyed it. And I don't even know 
exactly what to say about it because it's it's more just about the filmmaking and the acting is really good and the story not that it's bad but that's almost like the less important part i guess i would say the the main the main character is just really kind of mesmerizing to watch on screen the direction is really interesting just like the cinematography is beautiful and it's just kind of very well handled so the story is this main character a black kid about 20 years old ish it's kind of hard i mean he could be 25 it's kind of hard to tell exactly how old he is i guess but so he's like obsessed with the house that he grew up in and we kind of see him he keeps going back to this house when the current owners aren't around to like paint it or clean up the yard (laughs) then they show up and like the lady is like just super pissed that he's there messing with their house and the her husband's like well he's not hurting anything and so it's Mm -hmm. anyway but he's just mad that they're not taking care of this house so it's kind of just about that and of course it kind of deals with the whole gentrification thing that this was you know obviously a home that a black family could have afforded to live in when he was a kid and now they can't Mm -hmm. and so there's kind of that whole thing and that's essentially it but it it gets there's there's a few kind of minor twists with kind of maybe things he's been told as a kid aren't correct and and just kind Mm -hmm. of him dealing with his friends and his parents and it's just an interesting really well-made movie and actually the biggest thing is i'm kind of calling the watch out for this writer and director or sorry yes the writer and director and also the star i'd say keep an eye out on these guys in the next few years i won't be surprised if we're talking about these guys maybe you know five years from now as being an actual Best Picture nominee, just because I think mm. they're going to be capable of making some really good films uh, yeah. over the course of their careers. And I think this is going to kind of be the the movie that it all started at. Let's see. And then your number eight will be the first movie thus far that I have not seen. Yeah, I didn't think you would have. It's uh, Uncut Gems. I've never been more confused about how I feel about a movie. Oh, until interesting. This movie. Okay, but even that... That statement makes it worth watching, I guess. Yeah, it was really good, but it was also really bad. <laughs> like, overall, it was good, obviously. It's in my top ten. Okay. But there's so many... I mean, part of it is Adam Sandler is playing this guy who just yells a lot, but it also annoys me because it's Adam Sandler. Oh. <laughs> and he just annoys me, but he was just playing the character. Right. The whole story is around, like, this gym that he gets from somewhere in Africa, but then Kevin Garnett, do you know who that is? Yeah, basketball player. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's during, like, the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals. Oh, okay. So it's set around there, and, like, he bets on the game. Like, Adam Sandler bets on the games and stuff. And it was cool to see Kevin Garnett in there because I like him a lot. And then there's this guy named Mike Francesa. He's, like, the f- most famous New York sports talk guy. Okay. He was in it, which was really funny. Uh-huh. Um, as, like, a bookie. But it was, overall, it was, it was really good. I, I recommend it if, like, a... Hey, I have nothing else going on. After it comes out on DVD, I'll just pop it in. Yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily super against it. I think I just, I kind of heard it's just very uncomfortable because what I got, kind of gathered is he makes these awful bets and just keeps losing at least. And you kind of just are like so mad at the guy for being an idiot. It's kind of it like it's almost like physically uncomfortable is kind of the vibe I got. That's what I heard before the movie, but I, that's not really what happened. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that makes me more want to see it then. I mean, he makes some bets, but. He wins a lot of money. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, the ending was crazy. I mean, okay. I'm not going to give it away, but I, it was one of those ones I was like, oh, I did not see that coming. Okay, I'll I'll have to give it a shot then, because that's the only one, too. It was kind of, didn't it have a weird split on I or on Rotten Tomatoes, maybe? Like, it was like... I'm sure. Yeah, okay, and this is actually why I didn't see it. So it is a 92%, but the, the audience score is a 52, and usually mm-hmm. anytime there's a big split, either way... If the critics hate it a lot more than the audience or the audience hates a lot more critics, I tend not to like those movies, Mm. but not exclusively so. There's definitely exceptions. I mean, I don't think you'll dislike it. It probably won't make your honorable mentions, but you'll, I think, at least enjoy it enough. So why did the audiences not like it, do you think? That I don't know, because I, like, I was talking to Erin Heckethorn about it, and she asked me if I'd seen it yet, and I said no, and she's like, everybody at work just says it's the greatest movie ever. And she's like, they just keep talking about it. Huh. So... I'm confused because I've heard, I mean, unless people saw it thinking it was an Adam winning thing. Oh, that many people went to watch it because they thought it was an Adam Sandler comedy. I don't, like, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there because I. Interesting. I don't because it, I mean, it is what it is. It is what you see in the trailer. Huh. I, I can see that initially, but it's got 11,000 ratings. At some point people will catch up and that would go up. It's been, it's been low this whole time. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. So yes, my number eight is. Honey Boy with Shia LaBeouf. 
we yeah, so we can hints that we were gonna talk about Shia LaBeouf again. And then this is my one that kind of parallels Judy because just like Judy Garland went through uh with a kind of rough childhood in the industry and a movie that kind of parallels her life at the quote unquote present that they're telling, and as a kid, Honey Boy does the same thing less directly. So the the kid in the movie is not named Shia LaBeouf, but Shia LaBeouf did write this movie based on his own life experience and puts in a kid named Otis as kind of a proxy for himself. And we follow Otis as like a 12-year-old and then as like a guy in his early 20s in rehab. It just gave me a lot of respect for Shia that I never had. I mean, yeah, I, that's what I... Yeah, that's a, I felt the exact same way. I mean, I couldn't care less about the Disney stuff he did when he was a kid. I saw Holes, it was fine. And then I remember hearing stuff like when Transformers came out that he kind of just didn't take acting seriously and just kind of saw it as a paycheck. And I was like, whatever. So he's not, you know, I, I was kind of like the artist side of things. And and then, but what you don't realize is what he was going through. And I, and again, he does kind of have this cover of this isn't necessarily about me, but it is about me. And just that you don't think about, though, that the kid that's on the Disney show that, you know, my mom watches is going home to a uh, hotel at night that's populated by prostitutes with his loser dad who's beating him. It's the whole walk a mile in someone's shoes thing. So like with both with both Shy here and then Judy Garland, it's just like it kind of just changed the way I I thought about them. And then Shia's performance playing a version of his own father in this film. Father, yeah, and he was really good. Oh my gosh, so good. So it's uncomfortable, but I yeah. I just think of how personal and how raw something like that is. Mm-hmm. Just the courage to do that. It's almost like he wrote this whole movie and starred in it as therapy for himself yeah and props to him for that too and it's it can be an uncomfortable movie at times a lot of times I, yeah i i so i it's it's definitely not for everybody and it is a it's solid though. i think 93 on ron tomatoes with the audience score right up there and it's good and again i, I don't want to say like it's just a child above biopic you need to watch it for that i think it's more representative of the industry in general and how it does exploit stars of all ages and how it's easy for us as the audience at a distance to judge them. And when we see like, Oh yeah, Shia LaBeouf's in rehab. It's like, yeah. And he was kind of emotionally and physically abused as a kid. So maybe back off for a little bit. Yeah. So what, what I was going to say about Shia was cause I, I saw the even Stevens like when I was a kid, cause it yeah. was on while I was a kid and then transformers. I watched the first two. The first one I, I actually liked. I thought it was a good movie. And then I then it was meant from there. Right. But I hadn't even thought about him. I, like him as an actor in forever. Right. And then he comes out with uh, these two movies. And I was like, oh, okay. He's still around. Yeah. So yeah, curious to see what he does in the future. If he's kind of just, you know, help, you know, basically dealt with his demons a little bit and can kind of, you know, contribute more as, a, as an artist here going forward. It'll be interesting. <laughs> Your number seven is another one that I have not seen. We did talk about it, but I never got around to it. Uh, my number seven is Good Boys. Okay, and remind me which one that was about. So it's about these three kids in middle school. It's like super bad, but for with middle school. Oh, okay. That's a that's a probably a good concise summary. Okay. Yeah, and it's just like they kind of go on this. I don't know, not an adventure, but like they lose the kid's dad. One of the kids, his dad's drone. Oh, okay. And so then they have to like go get a new one because they lost like his super expensive drone. And it wasn't like. I'm not gonna say it was a good movie by any means, but <laughs> it was hilarious. Okay, and it just kept kept me entertained. Well, hey, that's that's part of that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. So I kind of just threw it on there as my uh, fun one of the year. Well, at some point too, you want to you kind of want to oh give a shout out to movies that may not be getting shouted otherwise. Like I yeah, it's kind of that constant debate of like, am I just being a homer for all the stuff that's getting nominated for Oscars, or am I being intentionally contrarian? And it is kind of always that kind of line, I think, to to balance across. But there's a lot of small sexual jokes put in there, but they're in middle school and they don't understand them. Oh, <laughs> so it's like hilarious. But I'm looking at the poster right now. Yeah, on I see Rotten it. Tomatoes, and it's from the same people who did Superbad. So that makes sense. Oh, that's funny. Also, the main kid in it was also the kid who was in Room. Oh, OK. OK. Seeing him grown up a little bit. Yeah. My number seven is A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Did not get around to that one. And it's almost like I'm continuing this theme of these movies that on the surface 
seem like they're a little kind of after school special or lifetime movies that you know would seem sappy if you didn't actually see it and just saw the trailer i I kind of have like a lot of those on my list so far it feels like (laughs) but uh again i think it was just really well handled it's not sappy i think they earned it i mr rogers himself as a person you could kind of argue is this overly too good to be true kind of person but i think that's kind of the point is that he did struggle with some demons and made a point to present himself in that way and then he's not actually in the main character in this it's actually about a reporter who is assigned i had heard that a lot of people weren't happy about that they thought they were going to go see uh it's the Rogers movie, and then it's not that. No, but again, I think I think this is the better way to do it. I think because of I, I don't think it'd be I don't not annoying, but I, I feel like it'd be hard to pull off Mr. Rogers as a protagonist without it seeming mm-hmm. silly. I think this was the better way to handle it, and it's the same lady who directed "Can You Ever Forgive Me" from last year with Melissa McCarthy. So she kind of mm-hmm. did these two movies back to back, and 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 both have you know garnered Oscar nominations. Yeah, yeah, ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes here for a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And again, it got me tearing up by the end. So like they yeah. they pulled it off and it's they earned it because the, the reporter is very, very cynical. He goes in kind of assuming that Mr. Rogers is kind of a con man, like not literally, but just <laughs> like that. He's <laughs> too good to be true. Once the cameras go off, he's going to show, you know, it's just a character he's playing. And slowly over the course of the movie and their interviews, you kind of see Mr. Ro- or Mr. Rogers kind of break through that that armor. But but they earn it because they take their time with it and it feels real and it feels earned. And again, it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. I think they changed the name of the guy, but there was this guy who was assigned to write an article about Mr. Rogers. And like, so it's loosely based on how that actually played out. Mm-hmm. And just and just all the little things too, how Mr. Rogers is this celebrity that everybody knows, but then getting to see people meet him in, within the movie, like, you know, because, oh, the reporter's got family and then his wife gets to meet Mr. Rogers. Just all those neat little moments with his family meeting the celebrity. Those are all yeah. kind of adorable too. And it's just it's just a nice movie. Nice movie. I, I'd recommend it. Yeah. I plan on seeing it. I just didn't do it yet. Okay. And we're actually gonna skip your number six because I have it higher. So I we assumed. Won't reveal that yet. And and go to my number six, which you just said you didn't get a chance to see. Nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Uh, and actually the buzz is now building that this is the most likely movie to win Best Picture this year. And yeah. I don't have a big problem with that. I won't probably talk too much about it here since you haven't seen it. And I still think you, sh- you should get out to see it. It is definitely more than just a war movie. But, you know, some people are not super enamored with it because it's not like you get a lot of backstory of the characters. And it's not like the acting performances are out of this world. It is really more about the filmmaking, which is normally something mm-hmm. that I'm like, well, you know, that's nice. But I need a story. I need the acting. You have you heard like the, the whole continuous shot thing that they tried to do with this? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, they pulled it off pretty well. Obviously, so they you know they have to cheat at times to make it look like a continuous shot, but it works. It's it's really kind of neat, and it you kind of worry it could become distracting, but I don't think it does. And it's just you know it just puts you it does a good job putting you right there, seeing you know the trench warfare from their point of view, and you know the time feels so urgent because you're never cutting away and. It's neat. It's it's kind of a fun movie to to talk about and to break down. And it, now, and it, you know, it's probably even kind of rewatchable. More than sometimes these, these war movies get really depressing. And not mm. that this doesn't have some depressing moments, I guess, but I still think it stays rewatchable and engaging. And and it, it wouldn't be my pick for best picture, but I'm also not going to like be as mad as I was last year if it <laughs> with the uh, best picture winner. If this is the one that ends up winning. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's see. So your number five is one I've seen. But go ahead. And it's not on your list anywhere? It's not. I didn't think so. It's Bombshell. No, and I didn't have anything hugely against it, but go ahead and talk about why you liked it. I Well, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, this is going to be my favorite movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I love everyone that's in it. Oh, right. And I just was like, oh, this is going to be a really powerful movie about these women. And I was a little let down. I thought it was really, I thought it was good. I thought, I thought everyone played their part very well. Yeah, um, yeah. I didn't, Nicole Kidman, I just feel like was Nicole Kidman not... Gretchen Carlson. Uh, yeah. I don't know Gretchen Carlson at all, but it was just like, oh, that's Nicole Kidman. Whereas like Charlize Theron played Megan Kelly, and you thought it was Megan Kelly. She kind of disappeared into it a little more, yeah. Yeah. Whereas Nicole Kidman, it just seemed like she's on that show, Big Little Lies, and just her the way that she talks and she like pauses at certain parts. It was just like, oh, that's Nicole Kidman, not Gretchen Carlson. Interesting. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I just, I don't know. I may have felt it wasn't ambitious enough like it was telling I, that's that's kind of why i was a little bit down on it because yeah you're right i feel like they could have done this instead of making it so 
focused on just this one particular aspect of what what went down with these sexual harassment claims at Fox News. I think you could just told a larger story about either Fox News at large or either or the Me Too movement at large. And not that it was required to do that, but I'm just saying that I think maybe there was another story that would have been more interesting here. And mm-hmm. it was it was well done. Charlize was amazing. Actually, I lost track. Was she nominated for this or not? She bet. Yes, she was. Okay, yes. And then so was Margot Robbie, who plays. She's kind of plays an amalgamation. I think. I don't think she's a specific person. No, she's, she's actually. Yeah, she wasn't an actual person. Yeah. I love Kate McKinnon in it. I wish she'd been in it more. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I think I texted you afterwards. I didn't. Realize, I didn't realize how attractive she was. <laughs> yeah, she's hilarious too. Yes, and in this movie more of a serious role because usually she is kind of known for her SNL yeah, stuff she's, where she's being silly. Yeah. And where it's like here she's like you know more just a regular reporter. And it's like oh okay yeah. Let's see my number five. We are skipping because you have it higher up. And <laughs> so now we're going to your number four. Ford versus Ferrari. So I assume that means it's not on your list anywhere. Uh, correct. I, I saw it. It was fine. I just, just not my kind of thing. Again, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I, I liked it, but I just didn't put it anywhere. Yeah. I just thought, I thought it was fun. I thought it was well done. I found the story interesting of how they, you know, basically created the Shelby Mustang. Right, right. How they went to do that race and Henry Ford the second not being his father. Yeah. So I thought it was fun. I liked, I mean, I thought Matt Damon and Christian Bale were great in it. Yeah, Chris, Christian. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Matt Damon was great. Christian Bale especially was amazing. I thought. I don't know. I guess I don't really have anything against it other than one. I'm not really a car guy. Two. Yeah. I felt like I know where this is going the whole time. You wouldn't be making this movie if it didn't go where we think it's going. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't find it particularly dramatic or interesting. I and I I don't know. Car races are about like fight scenes in movies. Like they don't. If I'm going to fall asleep during a movie, it's going to be like during a car chase, a gunfight, or a uh, race. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. And um, well, especially the way these races are for like these marathon races, like where the lead driver actually literally has to stop and sleep during a race. That's not a race. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I never even thought of it. I didn't even know that was a thing. True. True. Which which is interesting, but not cinematically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you catch who the young kid was? What else he's in? So no, I had I had to ask you after the fact because I th- I think I said when oh, I did we talk about it I think it was you so I, when I I spent most of Honey Boy trying to figure out where I had seen the young Otis the Shia proxy before yeah. and I think it was you that told me he's the kid in Ford vs Ferrari I'm like oh okay I knew he was familiar and he's also in, you haven't seen it but a Quiet Place I actually did see a Quiet Place you did. I'm very proud. I know I don't watch scary movies, but I did go see A Quiet Place yeah. last year. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was high on my list from last year. That, oh, I think, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, we would have. Yeah. yeah, if anybody wants to go back and check out uh, last year's top movies of the year rundown. Yeah, actually, I had it for two last year. Yes, okay. And I probably just had it on, I probably didn't even have it on mention because I don't like scary movies, but I did <laughs> go watch it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my number four was your number six that we skipped over, and it's Ryan Johnson's okay. Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Of course, we already mentioned Brick, if you know, from, you know, 08-ish, mm-hmm. his first movie. And he got a lot of hate, you know, with The Last Jedi. Although now that the Star Wars saga is complete, I would argue that of the new three, and well, of course, four if you count Solo, and maybe even Rogue One if you want to throw that in there, I, I would say the best filmmaking was still Last Jedi. And I just think he's maybe a better filmmaker than J.J. Abrams. And I know that's a hot take, I guess, if <laughs> people were more disappointed with Last Jedi. Not that I was a huge fan of it, but I think the filmmaking was just better. And so I was really, really excited when I saw the trailers for Knives Out, hoping it would be one of my favorite movies of the year. And it did not disappoint. It was so fun to watch in the theater. And I'm I'm mad I haven't got to see it a second time where you get to kind of watch this mystery and see all the foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, I might even like it better the second time around. Yeah, yeah, I I, I wonder that. And so I, I was already kind of a Ryan Johnson fan. Not that he, he hasn't done a whole lot of movies, but I really, really liked Brick. And this was just a lot of fun. Kind of a, what I felt was a unique take on the murder mystery where it kind of plays with the idea that it's going to be, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's like you think like the Agatha Christie stuff or whatever, where it's, oh, definitely not predictable, but formulaic maybe. And this kind of takes the formula and turns it on its head a little bit, I felt. And it was just fun, where it doesn't take itself too seriously, where it makes a point of having these very interesting and quirky characters who all have a motive why they may or may not have been the person involved in the murder and then just it's a comedy ultimately at the same time but also has the thrills and 
you get engaged with the characters. The only thing I hated was I thought uh, Daniel Craig's accent was inconsistent <laughs> and over yeah. the top. Uh, yeah, over the top, I thought. Yeah, so at the same time, I'm pretty sure Ryan Johnson has hinted that he might like to have a series of murder mysteries with that Daniel Craig character as his recurring detective. Oh, huh. And I mean, I, I, nothing else has been greenlit, but I think that's where yeah. they might be going with it. And even though I didn't like his accent, I'm actually really excited to see if that's what he does. And if we get, you know, three or four of these mysteries with Daniel Craig being the common yeah. thread throughout them, kind of like you would have had with uh, Hercule Poirot or whatever back in the day. So kind of excited for that possibility. Mm-hmm. Okay, your number three. My number three is The Report. Which I never got around to. Okay, um, I highly recommend it. I can't stand Adam Driver. I assume we've talked about this. <laughs> yes, just because he plays a character you didn't like in the show Girls. Not that you think he's a bad yes. actor. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I don't think he's a bad actor. I think he's a very good actor. Right, which is actually why you don't like him. Because he was so good at being a jerk that you don't like him yeah. personally. <laughs> yes, I, and I don't, under- I don't understand it. But it's basically about after 9-11 when the U.S. did, like, the detention and interrogation program stuff. Mm, okay. Um, so it's basically about how he is making up this report, because actually, the, like, the poster says the torture report, but torture is blanked out. Mm. So that's why it's called the report. He was going through all this stuff, spent years on it, kind of went, didn't quite go crazy, but a lot of people gave up on him just because it was taking so long. And then Annette Benning played Diane uh, Feinstein. Okay. She was the senator he was working under to find all this out. Okay, interesting. No, I've heard it's pretty good and then supposed to be pretty intense and everything, right? With what he's discovering and mm-hmm. probably not supposed to reveal and all that. Yeah, and it is on Prime, so I would recommend it. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, I just... Yeah, that's how I watched it. I don't know why I didn't get around to watching it. How and was, it's also... Uh... I don't know why, but it's hard for me to watch movies at home and for it to keep my attention. Yeah, I think we... Because just... I feel like there's so <laughs> many distractions. So, but this is one that I just sat down and watched the whole thing and it was, and it kept me very entertained. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Because at home, I feel like, well, one, there's, there's not the social pressure to keep quiet or not get up or Uh, not be on your phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, I've been there when I'm, I'm rewatching movies right now for like trying to figure out a top 20 for the decade. And Mm -hmm. it's hard not to be on my phone when I'm just rewatching something. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm home, you know, home by myself doing it. So yeah, my, my number three is the other one you would hope to get to that could challenge 1917 for Best Picture is Parasite. Okay. Kind of exciting in the sense that it's rare that, well, I guess, of course, just last year was one, but it's rare that foreign language films are in the running to actually win Best Picture. Last okay. year, Roma was uh, a, a heavy contender. This year, again, Parasite is one where they still say could, not, wouldn't even necessarily be an upset if it wins and beats 1917. It's just been really, really popular this year. It's definitely one I can't talk too much about if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I I have it. It's on my phone, ready to cast to my TV. I got an email from Google the other day saying a dollar ninety nine rental, so I rented. Oh, that you you got so it I legally? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Well, I don't do that any. I don't do the legal stuff anymore. I don't know how to. <laughs> okay, good. Because times times have changed, and I uh, I feel like an old person sometimes when it comes to technology. <laughs> Because I just have been doing the same thing for the past 10 years. Oh, yes. Correct. Yeah. Now now all these illegal streams, they're different than when I did it. So I don't even know how to do it. Um, I've definitely noticed that with certain things, you know, some, in some areas I transition over and other areas I'm like, oh, wait, it takes me five years to realize there's a new, better way to do that. And I just have so, so used to my routine that I didn't even think about a better way of being available. Yeah. Like my roommate, he's older. He has a, a sling, like sling TV. Oh yeah. My brother has that. Yeah. So he's not very good with technology. So he'll be like, hey, how do you do this? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't have one of those. <laughs> Whereas, you know, even five years ago, I would have been able to figure it out really easily. But oh, now I kind yep, of, and I also, yep. I'm, there's also times where I'm like, I don't really have the patience because I don't really care to learn it because I know I'll never need to use one. <laughs> yep, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in broad strokes, Parasite focuses on this poor family in Korea who scams their way into jobs with a wealthier family. That's basically the premise. And the reason, I mean, again, I'm kind of dancing around some things here. There's just kind of a shift, I guess you would call it. I don't even want to call it a twist. There's just kind of a shift uh, roughly halfway through the movie. And I think that's the reason it's so popular this year is you could almost argue that it's a genre shift. Hmm. That halfway through the movie, this movie becomes a different kind of movie. 
And so like you, this whole time you think you're watching one movie and then the last half you're like, Oh no, this is a completely different movie than what I thought we were getting. Mm-hmm. But in a good way that everyone's like blown away by and has a blast with, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why there's all this buzz around it and it's really well directed. It's it's a really good script. It's really well acted. Like it, it won the SAG cumulative cast award or whatever. So even though it doesn't have <laughs> doesn't have any individuals up for acting Oscars, yeah. it won one, for one like one the sample. overall cast at the SAG Awards, beating out everything else. <laughs> Definitely a movie to watch. I guess it's like South Korea's first ever Oscar nominated film, period. They hadn't even cracked the foreign film category before. And now they got a movie up for six Oscars that could win Best Picture. So that's pretty awesome. cool. This is a director who has done some other things. So he's definitely a guy that's actually going to pull him up real quick. He's been on the radar for a while. And I had seen a few of his other movies before. The one people may have seen, because it actually was an English movie, English language movie, a few years ago called Snowpiercer, where they're on the train. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a video game style where like the poor, it's it's this post-apocalyptic thing where the poor people are in the back of the train and the rich people are in the front of the train and the train just kind of goes around constantly. And this is, it's like a you know dystopian thing where the only people left alive are on this train, but it's also then like the poor people trying to work their way to the front of the train. Kind of a, you know, a movie that got kind of cult buzz a few years ago. And so yeah. that, that was the same guy. Anyway, so he, he's in, a, he, this is actually my fourth movie of his I've seen, mm. but uh, the first one that's kind of you know made a big uh, showing at the at the Oscars here. So yes, we're skipping your number two because obviously your number two is my number one. It was spoiler alert. Okay. So my number two is Jojo Rabbit. Did you get around to seeing that one? No. And I need to. I, I want to. It's one that's a little I plan on it. It's a little polarizing. Some people are very against it. It just doesn't work for them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And. For me, it totally works. And actually, I didn't realize until like just the last couple weeks that it's kind of this light. Yeah, man, I didn't even know where to start on this one. It's complicated. So basically, it's a comedy-ish drama about a Hitler youth, which Uh sounds audacious and definitely is. But I guess it's actually based on a book that's not a comedy at all. So they took a book that I don't know exactly what it's about. So I'm guessing it's about a kid, you know, in the Hitler Youth and discovering a uh, Jewish girl living in his house, you know, kind of Anne Frank style, I guess. And it's a drama. So they took that and made it mostly a comedy. And the kid has an imaginary friend who's this idealized version of Adolf Hitler that he has because he's 10 years old and has heard nothing but good things about the Fuhrer his whole life. So Mm -hmm. he's never never actually met him or seen him or heard him. So he's just like, oh, well, I'm just going to have this picture of the friendly Adolf, who's my imaginary friend. (laughs) And he gets kicked out of the Hitler Youth for being too nice. The nickname Jojo Rabbit actually comes just like at the very beginning when he refuses to kill a rabbit just you know just because they're all psychopaths uh-huh. and so you know they kind of te- so his name is jojo and they kind of tease him oh you know jojo likes the rabbit jojo rabbit and then so they're kind of teasing him and that becomes a nickname that he then kind of embraces uh-huh. as a point of pride and it's just charming i guess you would say and, and so yeah. it's just this kid coming to grips with his worldview and how when he meets this jewish girl again he's 10 He's literally confused that she doesn't have horns. Like, it, so it's like everything's like coming apart in his mind. And mm-hmm. of course, it's all set as the German war effort is coming to an end and they're losing. And he's mm-hmm. having to come to grips with the idea that maybe Jews aren't literal monsters. Mm-hmm. And where does he fit into all that? While having Adolf Hitler as his imaginary friend and it's this comedy and it just works on so many levels. And the biggest, yeah. the and I don't know if I texted you when I got out of this at the time or not, but it's it sounds ridiculous. But as I was walking to my car, I was still chuckling a little bit about the funny parts. <laughs> yeah. And then a minute later, about to start choking up and crying again about the emotional parts. So <laughs> like you talk about, oh, the movies that make you laugh, make you cry. It's like, no, on my way to the car, I was still laughing and crying. And darn near put this movie at number one because of just that impact it it had on me i get that it might not work for everybody some people will argue that it's disrespectful or whatever to deal with these heavy topics in a satirical or lighthearted way and i just kind of fundamentally disagree with that if you handle if you handle you can handle it respectfully and still 
infuse it with humor. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think it probably had to have a Jewish director, which it does. Okay. <laughs> it's Taika Waititi <laughs> who directed Thor Ragnarok. And huh. he actually plays the Hitler imaginary friend as well. Huh. He's also the rock monster in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> oh. So anyway, it totally worked for me. I think this guy's kind of a up and coming genius as actually yeah. we're going to get to another up and coming genius here with our next film. So the main reason I didn't go to see Jojo Rabbit is because the only theater that it was playing at in town was the equivalent of the palace. Ah. Uh. So just kind of run down. But I don't have a problem going to that theater, but tickets are normally $5. Since this was one of their like independent series ones, oh. tickets were $10. And I'm like, I'm not paying $10 to go sit in this theater. Right. More than I paid to go watch it at the Warren. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's like, it's it just, this place, it gets older run movies just like the Palace. I don't, is Palace even open anymore? No, it's, uh, they tore it down and oh, there's now a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah. As crappy as that theater was, I'd probably rather have that than a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> yeah, fair. So I was like, I'm not paying $10 to go sit in this uncomfortable theater. I would have only gone if it was $5. So I was like, I'll just wait till it's out on DVD and spend the t- $2 to rent it. Fair. So yeah, I mean, I'll be curious to hear your reaction when you when you do watch it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your number one was my number five. So why don't you introduce it? Oh, uh, okay. That's where it skipped over. I was going to be, at first I was thinking you didn't have it on there at all, and I was going to be very upset. Oh, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm excited to talk about it. Okay. Uh, Little Women. Yes. So I had never, I didn't know anything about the story of Little Women. I never had to read it growing up. Your mom never made us read it. <laughs> I never saw any of the movies, because this is like, what, the third one of it? Third or fourth? Oh, probably at least, because the the book itself predates movies, so they might have been making this back, you know, in the silent film era. I did see the early <laughs> 90s version was the only other version I had seen, I believe. Okay, it looks like there was a TV miniseries, and then there was one in 49 and 94. Okay, okay. Um, so I knew nothing about the story at all. So I kind of just went into it, because I like... Cersei Ronan. Cersei like inertia. Okay. I'll I'll probably still mess the name up for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so obviously I like her. I like Emma Watson. I like Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Laura Dern has come around for me because of the TV show Big Little Lies on HBO. Why were you against her before? <laughs> I just didn't know. I, I wasn't against her. I just didn't really know her in, in any Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. But I've been seeing her in more stuff recently. Yes, and true. I, like, because when you and I had kind of talked about it, you said that you didn't know if I'd like it because it's a period piece. Which you tend not to like, I thought. Yes, yes. Okay. But you also said, and then but and then we stopped talking about it because we didn't want to discuss too much. Right. You said it's a period piece, but it's very modern. True, which it is. It feels modern, doesn't it? That's why I liked it so much more than I thought I would. It doesn't feel stuffy. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, and they're just talking and like, I don't know, like the favorite, sometimes they were they would talk like, I don't know how they would in those times. I gotcha. I just, I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. You're right. They almost, they almost did it in a way where it feels like if you just changed the costumes and set it today, you wouldn't even have to change the dialogue. Exactly. And I really like that a lot. So it's interesting. So I, I wasn't disappointed at all, but I was a little just kind of like, oh, <laughs> discombobulated by them telling it out of order. I just kind of lost track of, wait, so is this the present or is this back seven uh, years oh. ago or mm-hmm. because it's all the same actresses and these timelines mm-hmm. are only set about seven years apart based on your casting so yes you're supposed to have like the girl playing amy is supposed to be like 13 at the beginning but it's still florence Pugh, who's in her early 20s so i'm still seeing it as a girl in her early 20s and so i just i got a little confused on what was happening when and that kind of kept me from getting emotionally invested because i didn't know yeah. what they were bringing to each scene aside from that though I absolutely loved it, and I think I even told you, like, I could have watched a five-hour version of this movie. I didn't want to leave the world that they had created with these characters. Yeah, and I'm actually very annoyed that Greta Gerwig did not get nominated. <sighs> yeah, yeah, and I it's I am as well. It's probably because she's a woman, but... It's... It's complicated. I I don't I don't know. I mean, I can't speak. There may be very there may very well be voters where that's that's a factor. I always see it as they don't get together and decide to exclude her, but independently, as they're all filling out their vote their ballots, not enough of them are including her, and so that she doesn't get nominated. And I still think that. And honestly, again, I'd <laughs> you know as the straight white guy, we don't want to necessarily focus on my opinion here, but. I still, I, I guess I'm saying I want to address this issue, but I think focusing on awards is the wrong place to focus. The Oscars are the symptom of the problem. They are not the problem. You don't fix lack of representation by nominating more things 
of diversity. The problem is on the other end. What percentage of movies in 2019 were directed by women in the first place? Was it 50 50? No. Let's fix that. But again, but that's complicated too because I don't think that, and this goes into the whole STEM field thing too, where you know, women have been less inclined over the years to get involved into STEM fields. And we want to correct that and make sure when we're, we're encouraging young girls to go into those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing with directing. It's this kind of leadership position that maybe for whatever reason, in the way we're, we're raising girls, they're not gravitating towards those leadership yeah. and directing roles. So even if they have the opportunity of getting to 50-50 is going to be tough. But I think yeah. that's where you address it. And, and same with the, the minority, you know, you need better parts for minorities. It, it's on the production end. It's not on the awards end. And that's kind of my two cents on how to address all this. I agree. But there are, I just feel like there are times where like, yeah, a better role for a minority. Well, I think Aquafina was just as good as anyone that got nominated this year and she got left off. <sighs> Correct. So it's, it's complicated. I, I would say it's both. Just because I'm saying the awards are the symptoms doesn't mean you ignore the symptoms. Yeah. I also thought that Emma Watson should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Ah, see, I thought she, I thought she got outclassed. Oh, really? I like her, but I just don't think she's on the same planet as these other people. I think, th- yeah, I think Florence Pugh was better, but I just feel like they probably both should have. And and frankly, she wasn't asked to do enough, and her character yeah. is just kind of the more oh prudish isn't the right word, but she's just kind of. She is frankly a less interesting character. So Emma had less to do. It, well, because she was basically what you were supposed to be at that time. Right. She's representing the ideal that they're all falling short of. Yeah. But no, this why this is so fascinating, though, too, is... Okay, so I forget if we've talked about it yet. I was talking to someone else about it. I'm slowly coming around to the idea that Greta Gerwig is a genius, like legit genius, and we're going to be getting some really, really good stuff uh, in the future from her. Already, Obviously yes. already got Lady Bird and Little Women. And then, of course, the genius take of Little Women here. She took this... You know, hundred plus, hundred fifty year old story, and gets a complete new spin on it, where she t- does tell it out of order and bookends it with the publishing of the book itself. So it's kind of got this meta level where you see the Joe character going to try to get her own stories published, which ultimately end up being the story of her and her sisters. And then you got the how that's you know at the end where they're kind of talking about with the the marrying of the foreign guy or whatever. And it's like, wait, so is it actually happening to her in real life? Or is it just something she added to the story because she's told that's what makes books sell better? And just how it's all infused with this modern feminist in a very good way sentimentality that gives, like you were saying, this new life to this, you know, old story and makes it feel modern. So yeah. I think it was a stroke of genius and she did get nominated there. She did get nominated for the screenplay. Oh, screenplay, yeah. And and I and I I don't know if she's going to win or not, but So if I read this description of a movie to you, I think we might have talked about this. A doll living in Barbie land is expelled <laughs> for not being perfect enough and sets off an adventure in the real world. A live action feature film based on the popular line of Barbie toys. Right. You probably would never in a million years even think to see Right. That that's movie. like that's like the movie Battleship. It's like what are we doing? Why do we want to yes. see this? But the exactly. fact that it's Greta Gerwig, I'm like, it's going to be genius. Yeah. Yeah. Directed by Greta and has Margot Robbie in it, playing Barbie. Right. And hey, we, we could be wrong. It, it could be, you know, her first misstep. I remember thinking some more things about Jason Reitman because his first three movies, oh, yeah. he knocked him out of the park and he's kind of, quote unquote, struggled since then. But mm-hmm. because it is Greta Gerwig, I'm very, very interested to see how yeah. that next project turns out. So one more thing on Little Women. Okay. You know how... On The Ringer, there's this podcast called The Rewatchables. Yeah, I I listen to it, if I'm familiar enough with the movie they're talking about. Yeah, so they have awards in there, and I don't really know, I don't remember what all of them are, but I think we need an award for the person who, like the actor, we didn't think should have played that character. So basically, Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. Okay, so basically the most miscast character of the year. Yes, yes, yes. But and probably from the movies that we like. Because you can go into a movie that yeah, sucked. Yeah yeah. And yeah, 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 yeah. So like ones that are in our top ten. Ooh, okay. Because I know mine. It's Mine is, su- is a super easy one for me. Bob Odenkirk in Little Women. The, he, was the, he was the dad. It was just weird. I actually heard Greta herself on a podcast kind of address that. Oh, really? I mean, I think she just kind of thought he was, you know, she was just a fan of his and thought he was right for the role. It's almost because I think she said... She's only heard that from people who have watched Breaking Bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's probably probably the reason why I thought that because I thought Breaking Bad in some of Better Call Saul. Right. So I think she even said that like people who don't know him from Breaking Bad or whatever are like, yeah, he was great. Okay, that, then that probably makes sense. Yeah, I think that's anytime. Well, honestly, I kind of felt that way about Scarlet in Jojo Rabbit. She plays Jojo's mom. 
Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like it was just too obvious that this was just Scarlett Johansson and mm-hmm. not this German mother. So I almost found her as maybe one of the weaker parts, even though she got nominated for an Oscar for it. So actually, that might be my answer is Scarlett Johansson in Jojo Rabbit, I guess, because that's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Okay, so the last movie we were going to talk about, because it was your number two and my number one, which does kind of by default make it our consensus pick for 2019, <laughs> uh, with Little Women being number two, I would say. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which what's funny is, so I finally convinced my mom to go watch it, and she got back and wanted to talk about it, and she's like, okay, tell me why you like this movie so much. But then... <laughs> proceeded to tell me for like 10 minutes all the things she really liked about it i'm like i'm like okay well there's your answer yeah. so similar to jojo rabbit in the sense that some people kind of find the way they handle some things offensive and i don't want to get into spoilers here but we will kind of say that he kind of delves into some alternative history things like he did with inglorious bastards and i think it's actually what i come down to with with once upon a time in hollywood it's a fairy tale even choosing the title once upon a time, dot, 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 in Hollywood is kind of the indicator that this is a fairy tale set in Hollywood. So, of course, things are maybe going to turn out unrealistically or dreamlike in a way that we wish they were. You know, like it's it's this better version of the world than what we actually live in. And I know that sounds kind of maybe high fluid or whatever. Like, I think that's I think that's true. I think that's one Tarantino did here. I'm calling this, but I think it's very obviously, it's his love letter to Hollywood. He has this famous reputation for being kind of a movie buff and this guy who just was self-taught by growing up loving movies and watching movies. And in a lot of ways, you know, his kind of, his whole career is making good versions of bad genres. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, black exploitation. He made Jackie Brown, crappy action, you know, kung fu samurai. movies. He, yeah. yeah. Samurai movies. He makes Kill Bill. I mean, literally his breakout movie, you know, his second movie, Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction is a genre. He named his big breakout movie after a genre. I think that's kind of all intentional. This this is his fairy tale, but he set it in 1969 Hollywood, where he has his two fictional characters, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio playing. Uh, Leo plays a fading actor who was like a TV star and is kind of just seeing like he might not have a much longer life in the industry. Brad Pitt plays his... Longtime stuntman slash not butler. What's the word? Just like servant almost. Like he's just kind of his handyman assistant. Yeah, but also his best friend. Like they do. Like they legitimately are best friends. But then you know one's definitely subservient to the other. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt's character is just kind of cool with that. He's just kind of like you know whatever. Yeah, almost kind of like this hippie, but not a hippie because he's almost he's too cool to be a hippie. Even he's just kind of like. <laughs> and actually, I'm kind of excited because he is supposedly. I hate, you know, don't want to jinx it, but it's supposedly a shoe in to win the Oscar. And it'll to be, win, yeah. Yeah, and it'll be his first Oscar win. So kind of excited for that because I've always been a Brad Pitt fan. And he does kind of kill it here. I, I frankly think Leo, though, is even stronger. And Leo should win too, but it sounds like uh, Joker, which neither of us mentioned, is going to yeah. uh, win Best uh, Actor for Joaquin, which he is good in, but... Anyway, whatever. Let's stick yeah. with uh, let's stick with this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just think it's it's fascinating to watch. I've been calling it also both the most and least Tarantino movie thus far because the the two things Tarantino has a reputation for is well horrific violence and intensity, which I yeah. actually think the violence is way more off screen than a lot of people think if you look back at all his movies. I mean, it's there, but it's more in your head than you than you realize. Okay, and then also the dialogue. So he takes these violent movies and infuses them with clever dialogue. It's basically Tarantino for the last 20 years. Uh-huh. So this is basically 95% of the movie is just the dialogue part of things. And it's just kind of this these, these characters in this world with the very Tarantino dialogue. And it's just kind of quirky. I mean, you have this whole you know subplot with Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. And yeah. Yeah, it's a fairy tale. She's the princess. So she's just kind of like going through the world with all but having, you know, birds landing on her shoulder and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she's just kind of going through as this kind of like shining light throughout. Yeah, I don't know. I just I I dug it. You talk about it for a while. <laughs> um, so I basically since Kill Bill, I think his movies have gone downhill gradually. Agreed. So that's why I was kind of I was very apprehensive about this one. I actually didn't even go see it in theaters, even though I, I should have just because of the movie it is. I just it came out in the summer and summer's busy. Mm. But I mean, I liked it way more than I liked uh, Django or uh, Hateful Eight. 
Okay, uh, same. Glorious Bastards I did like a lot. Yes, I, I, I've been calling it his best movie since Glorious Bastards, but I probably like it yeah. a hair more. It's pretty close, but then, yeah, I killed I it. I think yeah. they're, pretty clo- they're pretty close for me, but I, Django was all right. I was not a fan of Hateful Eight. Yeah, agreed. I think it was just kind of too much. Yeah, so I was glad that he finally made a movie that I was like, okay, this is a Tarantino. This is why I like him so much. Yeah, and, and it may be unfair a little bit. I did see this one twice in the theater just because... I kind of agreed with two different people to go see it. And so like I ended up seeing it twice. So I don't know if that gives it an unfair advantage because of how well it did hold up. And I got to see it that second viewing where we talked about something like Knives Out or honestly Little Women, where I feel like if I got to see it again and get a little bit of confusion out of my head, maybe I would move it, move it up more. But yeah, it's it's my favorite movie of the year. And kind of like you said, though, it's a year where, you know, I, I don't live and die by any one film this year, mm-hmm. but definitely a lot of solid movies. I and mean, we you even talked about stuff I didn't even have in my normal mention that I still thought was really good and worth watching. So, yeah, I mean, as long as Joker doesn't win Best Picture, I won't be mad. <laughs> I So we got the most nominations. I could see it only winning for Joaquin and that's it. And then if Joaquin gets upset, there's a legit chance it could get 11 nominations and zero wins. Zero wins, yeah. But it sounds like Joaquin's going to win. Yeah. Which is which I hate rooting against. I'm actually fine. I mean, I'm fine with it. I yeah, yeah. I'd rather it be like Leo, but Right. or even Adam Driver. But I yeah, I just wasn't a big fan of the Joker. And I I've always and of course this is just kind of the consequence of voting and then wanting to reward people, but I also feel like it's it's not done in a vacuum. We've probably talked about this before where it's not just like who is the best performance this year? There's always the context of, well, Joaquin's never won before, and Leo just won for The Revenant. And if Leo yeah. hadn't won for The Revenant, he would be a strong Probably. favorite this year. Yeah. And it's like, well, that doesn't change their performances. What are we doing? So that's always been a little bit of annoyance for me. But I, we talk, I forget what who it was last year. I think we talked about it last year, too. Yeah, it, it kind of tends, tends, tends to come up fairly often. Yeah. So yes, thank you everybody for listening to our roundup of the best movies of 2019. And we're going to try to get to a top list of the decade here, but we'll we'll see how we can come on that and hopefully have that to <laughs> you within a, within a month or two here, hopefully. All right, catch you later.